we had Mark Helvagian start a new series, In His Image. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, you know, a call to stewardship. And as Mark said last week, and I do encourage you, and I'm, I mean this most sincerely, I always mean it sincerely, but if you didn't catch last week's sermon, would you please try and do that? Use the app, use the website uh, to uh, either watch or listen to that sometime this week, because what Mark did last week, and it was a pretty heavy burden for him, he laid down a really solid teaching. It was more of a teach than a preach, uh, a basis for understanding what stewardship is. Now, you know, let's be honest about it. You know, as he said last week, very often when, when uh, people talk of stewardship, we start thinking about money. And the fact of the matter is, we've got to talk about money. We really have. In fact, the truth of the matter is that this, this uh, church is growing at a rate now that uh, uh, the demand is outstripping what we can supply. And that's a concern. We, we do need to talk about money. And I'm going to be talking about money in a few weeks' time. But, but he was absolutely right, and we as a team felt we do really need to teach this in a holistic and biblical way. Stewardship is more than about what we do with a bit of our money. Stewardship is, is something that, is, uh, that, that actually reflects God's DNA in us. And what Mark said last week was that we are all made in God's image, and uh, that was his intent and is his intent. But that image in us was marred by this thing we call sin. And it causes a, a whole host of problems. But what we're in the business of, as, as actually as Rich has already uh, referred to, we're in the business of transformation. We're in the business of seeing God's redemptive power at work among us. And his goal is not just to save us for all eternity, and frankly that would be enough, but his goal is to restore in us the image of God so that we can make Christ known, live up to our true calling, who we were truly meant to be. And so this is an exciting opportunity. And next week we're going to be looking at the use of time, energy, and then Three weeks' time, I'm going to be teaching on money, something like that. But, but please, if you missed Mark's foundational uh, talk, please make a point of listening to that, and that will serve you well as we uh, look at this topic. I'm going to be doing more of a preach than a teach today. I've got to be a little careful. Uh, uh, again, I seem to be you know, struggling with my voice these days. I need to get that checked out, I think, but... But uh, So I'm going to try and, and not get too excited, but having said that, let's go for it, shall we? And uh, so this, this topic today begins with just a reminder of a verse of scripture or, that Mark shared with us, Psalm 24, verse 1, and uh, that is basically, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And uh, I actually just need to pause and just ask Karen something, our AV person up here. Karen, was my talk up there or did it? It wasn't up there. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what then, sweetie. Can you put up 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? And we'll just have that as a backdrop. And I'll not expect uh, much more from that. Okay. Uh, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Great. Thank you. So... Uh, Mark reminded us last week that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
And uh, in fact, this is a theme that is repeated a number of times. Uh, in 1 Chronicles 29, David, at the end of his uh, a long prayer to God, he says, you know, the earth is the Lord's. And then his son Solomon, in the dedication of the temple, picks that theme up and says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. And there's this fundamental reminder that you know, God is, we're not just dedicating a portion of ourselves, but actually everything that we experience, every, every breath we take is a gift from God. And uh, I want to entitle this talk this week, The Royal Way. And it's a topic that I return to from time to time. And it's a topic that really speaks to me. But I want to start slightly obliquely by talking about uh, King Edward VIII. Now, can anybody tell me anything about King Edward VIII? He abdicated. Thank you, yeah. One of the shortest, if not the shortest, reigning of, uh, uh, monarchs. 364 days, just one day short of a year. In 1936, uh, the then Duke of Windsor, Edward Duke of Windsor, came to the throne. And uh, he had a reputation up until that point of being a bit of a playboy. He had served in the army. Uh, and there are lots of anecdotal stories and a few recorded stories, too, about his, his playboy-like behavior. And when I say playboy, he really was a playboy. And uh, I, I had an, a, an old uh, music master who, for some reason, told me, I can't remember why, the, the reason, but he told me of, of uh, Prince Edward having to inspect the fleet down in uh, Plymouth and uh, he was so incapa incapacitated by the, 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 the rum and stuff that he'd been drinking that they had to hold him up. They, had to, they, they stood each side of him and gripped the back of his overcoat and sort of held him up like that, you know. And somebody got his arm and sort of went like that, you know. So he was, he was a character. Now, this story has been recorded many a times, and in fact, this last year, there's been one or two stories and documentaries on him, but he fell in love with a lady called Wallace Simpson, who was then a one-time, but soon to be two-time divorcee. And when he, was, when he was crowned king, uh, the only real thing on his mind was to uh, see that Wallace, uh, his, the love of his life, was in some way, he didn't, he understood that constitutionally, because she was a divorcee, uh, she could not be queen, but, she, uh, but he hoped that there would be some way in which she could become uh, his, his official royal consort with some sort of title, and for some while they negotiated that. So the point of me telling you this story is that here we have a man who's born into the royal line, who is indeed and indeed becomes the next king. And there's a high calling on his life, a high calling. And this life that he has been prepared for is one of service, uh, one of privilege, but one of, of considerable sacrifice too. And of course, we so wonderfully see that modeled in our own queen, God bless her. 
And interesting that we should be hearing that Prince Philip's going to be stepping down from his duties because he says, I just can't stand up much longer. <laughs> but anyway, but what happened, this all went very sour. Because what happened was, was that there, there was no way that the then government could see that this wouldn't force a constitutional crisis. Indeed, the government would have had to have resigned and it would have called a general election, which in itself contravened this strict policy of being non-political. So if King Edward had gone ahead and married Wallace Simpson while a sovereign king, it would have forced a constitutional crisis. So it was a real head, uh, a head teaser. Anyway, as many of you know, uh, in the end, he abdicated 364 days after being crowned. And uh, he uh, said in, very movingly, and I'm sure many people felt a great deal of sympathy, he said, I cannot see myself performing this role without the woman I love at my side. And gosh, talk about being caught in a hard place. But the tragedy is that once he left, instead of, and eventually, shortly after when Wallace's second divorce came through, instead of him finding the life and the love and the freedom that he thought he would have, in fact, what happened was, was that actually he was desperately unhappy. Uh, he worked for a time in Europe, but his unhappiness and his bitterness, it has to be said, drove him to, uh, to really spend rather too much time with the then burgeoning Nazi party, and in particular, he was a great fan of Adolf Hitler. And it was commonly believed, and I think with some justification, that if Germany had won the war, he would have been re-crowned, he would have been given back the, the crown in, in the UK. Adolf Hitler would have bestowed that upon him, would you believe? Well, when the, you know, those, uh, when the government saw that that was going to happen, uh, they removed him from his post, his role, his role in Europe, and he was sent out to be the governor of, of the Bahamas, I believe, which was basically being sent into exile. And he was very bitter, and became increasingly bitter, and often with bitter people, what they tend to do is they project their bitterness. For him, he said, it's not me, it's that they don't recognize Wallace. And there's some truth in that. They, uh, people despised her because of, the, because of the way things had turned out. And eventually, he retired to the south of France and, and died there. Now, why am I telling you all this? Why on earth waste time on this story? Well, my topic today is the royal way. We have a high calling on our lives. God has a vision for us corporately and as sons and daughters. You may be sitting there thinking that that is so far away from my life at the moment. I, I cannot relate to that, Chris. I understand that. But I'm sorry, that's the truth. God sees you as a prince or a princess and he's not about to change his mind. But as princes and princesses, we're called to responsibility. 
And we may see it as freedom to bulk that responsibility, to pull away from that responsibility, to shy away from that responsibility, believing that it's just too hard. But as we do so, as we run from the stewardship of this extraordinary salvation, this extraordinary restoration that God has bought for us through the blood of his Son, our Savior, Jesus. As we do that, instead of finding ourselves, we actually lose ourselves. And so that's, that's the nub of, of what I want to say to you today. We have a high calling. We talk about you know, frequently, because it's one of those little things that we've, we've grown accustomed to, about be taking our place in the family business. It's all very middle class and grocerish, and, you know, England is a nation of shopkeepers and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But the truth of the matter is that we're called to high service. And there is a challenge and there is a cost. But, the, but as we embrace that, so we find ourselves, because we are made in God's image. It's not something that you get bestowed upon you. It's not some, like an MBE or something like that, some royal award. It is actually what we are meant to be. As Mark reminded us, you know, we were the pinnacle of God's creation and we were charged with dominion, the caretaking, the care of this world. And as we individualize and as we dumb down and as we specialize in our own little world, our family, our job, our kids, none of that is, is, is outside of God's concern, of course not. But as we dumb it down, we actually lose ourselves. So let's just look here at 1 Peter chapter 9, thank you Karen, where Peter says to us, just need to have a quick cough, excuse me. Peter says to us, you are a chosen people. I'm going to read through this slowly. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, that's where we were, into his wonderful, and it is wonderful, light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's just unpack this a little. You're a chosen people. Jesus said famously and wonderfully, you did not choose me. And that applies to everyone here. If you're on that journey towards Jesus, or if you have received and embraced Jesus and are now on that road to maturity, the royal way, you need to know that God has chosen you. It wasn't one day like the taxi driver that Rich was telling us about who said, you know what, I think I might go on to church. Well, often it seems to be our choice. But the truth of the matter is, from the moment we were conceived, God has been calling us calling us by name, wooing us, entreating us. And at some point, sometime, somewhere, we cross a line where we begin to turn around, like a super tanker. 
It may seem like it happens in a flash, and for some people it does happen in a flash. For others it's a journey. But it's like a super tanker making a great turn. We make that decision for Jesus, but it takes time to turn our lives around. A considerable amount of time, as super tankers take these enormous, great turns. So what happens is, we begin to respond to God, and there is great comfort in the fact that God says to us, I have chosen you. I've chosen you, George. Not you chose me. I have chosen you, Katie. I've chosen you. I've chosen you. I've chosen you. So it's his choice, his call. You are a chosen people. You know, there's this African proverb, which is being, is, I'm hearing it quite a lot recently. African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Uh, it's interesting, I've reflected upon that over the last couple of weeks. When Felicity and I first started this church, we went alone. We had to go alone because nobody wanted to go with us. <laughs> but as time moved on and as we covered a lot of ground in those early days, other people began to say, you know what, I might throw my lot in with you. Let's see how this vineyard thing turns out. And then more and more people came. So we, we at that point, had to learn different ways of leading, leading more through, through others and, 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 and just training and equipping and releasing other leaders. And we slowed down, but in fact... By the grace of God, we were able to play some part in building a community here, which will go much farther than Felicity and I ever will. It'll go on, please God, beyond our energy and effort and time, carrying this, these crucial values of equipping the saints, making Christ known, church planting, you know, worship, all these, these things, these things. But all of that has come about because God chose us. We weren't looking to be chosen. In fact, we were quite, I for one was quite uppity about being chosen. I wanted to build a business, but, but God chose us, and God chooses you. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You know, we are born to greatness. Born to greatness. It may not be revealed in this short and fleeting life. But scripture says that there is an inheritance that is kept for us in heaven, which is absolutely untarnishable. Actually goes so far as to say, you know, gold and silver, you know, can be destroyed, can rot away. Now, I as a jeweler struggle with that. I was a jeweler before I did all of this, because gold is an extraordinary element. It is very difficult to destroy. It doesn't rust, it doesn't rot, it doesn't decay. It doesn't, you know, morph into some other element. It is an extraordinary thing. But when the scripture says it will pass, but your faith which is like gold and more than gold will not pass, and your calling, your inheritance that is kept with God for you will not be tarnished in any way, shape, or form. So we are a royal priesthood. We may look like a bunch of duffers to the world, but the truth of the matter is, in God's eyes, and it's his word, his opinion of us that matters, we are that royal priesthood. We are called to reign and rule and to make Christ known. 
We are God's, we are a holy nation. Holy in this, in, uh, holy means uh, not upright and uptight. It doesn't mean sort of super religious. Holy means dedicated, set apart. We are set apart to be God's stewards. His sons and his daughters, a holy nation. God's special possession. Now this was particularly poignant for Paul speaking to a whole host of Gentiles. Uh, sorry, it's Peter speaking to a whole host of Gentiles. You know, Paul had the reputation for being the uh, apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter had a very uneasy relationship with that. But here he's talking to the Jewish di- uh, diaspora, those who've been spread out all, you know, through persecution all through the eastern you know, countries of that day, but also to the Gentiles. And he says to them, he says, you are God's special possession. Now, up until that point, up until Christ, you know, the Jewish nation was known as God's special possession. But of course, with Christ, all of that goes, all of that changes, and suddenly the election, our calling, is not based on our birth. Our royalty is not based on the fact that we were born in the line of Windsor, like Edward. It wasn't a question of, is he the best man for the job? If you ask that question, you have to say no. But he was born into that. But what happens to us is that although we are not born of the flesh in that way, we are born again as Christians. And as such, suddenly we find ourselves as God's special possession. And then it goes on to say that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of, his, out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, the abs- if you drill down, and we've been talking a bit about this recently, if you drill down, our absolute core vision for this church is to make Christ known. Say that with me. Make Christ known. We just keep, that's what we're about. We want to make Christ known, and that's what it says there. Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once we were a bunch of individuals, once we, once we were wallowing in our own sin, once we were in darkness, in depravity, once we were caught up in selfish ambition, once you know, we were on the throne, I was on the throne in my life, once you had not received mercy, once, as, as, as Paul says in the book of, of, of Romans, you know, we were enemies with, of God. You may find that strong language, but, but the truth of the matter is we have to grapple with the, the severity and the, and the damage that sin has done to us and done to this world, which we see playing out week by week, day by day, hour by hour on our news feeds. The damage and destruction that is seen to be ripping through our world. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not, it's not by merit, it's mercy. We find ourselves then, to summarize, born again, rescued from darkness, rescued from all the, the distraction and depravity of our lives, and we find ourselves in this position, this royal position, this position of privilege and responsibility. And there's three things I just want to quickly mention before we wind up. This is a call, this call to stewardship is a call to consecration. What does that mean? It means it's a call to dedicate ourselves. It's a call, 
it's a call to, to holiness in that sense. That we, we have to wake up and understand that we are called to be God's people, to walk this royal way, whatever the pressures and temptations out there and sometimes in here too. And that is in some ways the same challenge that Edward, Duke of Windsor, faced when he, had, he came to that crossroads. He had a personal agenda, a love of, of this woman, this Wallace Simpson. I don't know whether she was a nice woman or not. I'm not making comments about that. But what he found was his personal agenda was in conflict with his position. And for church, sometimes we find that our personal agendas, whatever they may be, and they may be worthy ones, are in conflict with the high calling, the royal way that God lays before us. So three things we have to bear in mind as we come of age, as we embrace who we are in Christ, as we grow up and mature. One, it requires surrender. We have to stop pushing back. We have to let go of our personal agendas. We have to surrender. Say, God, you are Lord. I am not. You are Lord. I am not. And we have to resolve to try and live that. That Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Meaning, if, I, if there's any way I don't have to go to the cross tomorrow, please let it be. You can do all things, God. But then he surrendered. He said, but not my will, your will be done. First step is surrender. The second, we don't get let off the hook, I'm afraid. It will involve sacrifice. For every single one of us, some things we will experience in common, but for others of us, it'll be particular things. We will have to make sacrifices in order to pursue God and to step into this high calling that the sons and daughters of God have, this stewardship of his image. There will be sacrifices. And thirdly, it will, the fruit of it will be service. We see that gloriously in our queen when we're talking about royal lines. You know, it's been a life of service. You may say to yourself, oh, I like my, I'd like to live in a palace and have five corgis, but, you know, really? Really? It will involve service. It's not an option. It's not something you do if you've got a bit of a time on the third Sunday of the month. Service is what we do. Surrender. Sacrifice and service, we bow down. Now, I, I, church, I want to treat you like grown-ups. I hope I always do. I don't see any way around these. It's not like, you know, oh, Dennis has to, I can see that in Dennis, like, there's surrender and there's sacrifice and there's service. This is, this is what the royal way looks like. This is all that God can promise you. Well, he can promise us a lot more than that. But it's going to look like this. It's going to involve surrender. It's going to involve sacrifice. And it's going to involve service. And what Paul says about that, and if the band can come up, he says it's actually what true worship looks like. It's more than singing songs. And boy, we love to worship. We love to sing songs. 
Romans 12.1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in, in view of what God has done for us, and his intent to restore his image in us, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Bless you. Let me just pray. I had wondered about doing an altar call. I think it's the kind of message that needs an altar call. But I suspect that if I was to do that, 90% of you would come forward, which would be absolute chaos. Many of the pastors in this church will, will agree with me that we've had folk come to say, simply, tell us what to do. <laughs> well, we want you to, be, to grow up and know what to do. But I do think that God is speaking to us in this, this year because he's got to position us in that place of maturity to, to be able to then take us on to the next step, which will be to embrace a lot of immature people that are coming to Christ who don't yet know how to behave. Talk about messy church. It is and it will be messy. But we've got to find our place as a body, as a community in that solid place. We can't be flaky. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand if you want to respond to this. I'm going to ask you if you sense that God has spoken to you and if you want to say to the Lord, I want to go the next step. I want to pursue Stewardship, I want your image to be birthed in me. You know, I want you to take me on. I want to leave behind the childish things. I want to embrace the new things that you're doing today. So just let's close our eyes. I just want you to raise your hands now if that's you. For every single one of us here, where, however long we've been a Christian, however far we've come, there is always more. And God is revealing himself to us. So, Father, we just want to say, and I put my hand up too, Lord God, lead on, Lord Jesus, lead on. We understand that there's great joy in your presence. Joy is the emotion of heaven. But we understand that in this life, we're called to surrender. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to serve. We're growing up. We know that that's what it takes. So, Lord God, we just want to acknowledge this morning that that's the journey we're on. Thank you, Lord. Have your way among us. Have your way among us. And Holy Spirit, we bless you now. And Lord, you've seen our, our heart. We've, you've seen our intent on this day to grow in Christ, to come of age be the church you've called us to be, one that bears your image and makes Christ known. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this high privilege, this royal way we're called to walk in. And 
everybody says, Amen. Thank you.